I think we're at liftoff. I'm excited about this show. And uh, not to not to at all um, say anything negative about our guests, who I'm very excited to talk to. But the single best thing about this show is the name of the ISP. Cruzio or Cruzio is without a doubt the single best name for an ISP um, that I think I've ever come across. I'm picking up a little bit of myself in the background. Am I alone in that? Yeah, yeah I'm here in it. Hey, Rye, any idea what's going on? That was oh. me, sorry. Oh, ha, Frost is messing with Rye. Rye is our, our production person. Usually things go super smooth when he's doing it and I'm not. So um, thank you, Frost, um, <laughs> for ruining everything. <laughs> Why do you I'm just sitting here talking about how this brilliant name of this company. So Cruise IO input output Cruzio, just from Santa Cruz, California. It's genius. It's way better than, than USI. I don't even know where that came from, Travis. Um, but today we're going to be talking about what they're doing, how they build their network and a really cool way that they are getting low income access to our families to getting access to families with low incomes. Uh, so let's start with a, a quick introduction. I'm going to start with uh, James. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Where's, where's the name of the show and all that everyone's been waiting for? Oh, yeah. I'm, you know, with all the people that were waiting today, we had like this Rewind. people breaking on the doors. Come I rushed on. right into it. This is an episode of Connect This. There we go. Now we can all right. start. All right. Travis, who, for anyone who has ever wondered why I go, I ham up the intro to the broadband bits, it's all for Travis and his wife who, who uh, insist that I do it. Yep. So every, today every we've got Wednesday morning. Thank you, Chris, for that. Yes. We've got James Hackett. He's the person that has Wallart honoring file cabinets behind him on the on your screen right there. He's from Cruise.io, as well as Chris Frost, who cannot turn off his Zoom filter, uh, which uh, puts that wonderful haircut and mustache on him. So don't expect that to go away. Uh, we've also got Travis Carter, who's back with a surprising new wardrobe. Is that a new shirt, yep. Travis? It is. What do you think? I, I got a fresh one for you today. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm just excited I was able to get dressed today because it's been a it's been a rough few days. So uh, I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Travis is my co-host from USI Fiber in Minneapolis. Uh, we're going to run launch right into the quick question. And um, after we go through our normal stuff, we'll learn a little bit more about the background of Cruzio and, um, and James and, and Frost. So the first question, I'm going to kick it to you first, James. Um, James, um, there's no one named James. Yeah, sorry. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep blaming frost for, for throwing me off at the beginning, even though this is how every show starts. Um, <laughs> James Hackett, I'm going to ask you, will we get high quality broadband out to all low income families in the next three years? Is that something we're going to achieve as a nation? In the U S I'd, I'd have to be pessimistic slash realistic and say, no, um, we're going to do our best in Santa Cruz County. But, um, Do you think you're going to hit that target there? Every low-income family in the county? Possibly not. But um, three years from now, maybe have us back on and we'll see how we've been doing. But we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing our bit on the Central Coast. Excellent. Frost, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, nationally? Um, I mean, I think the realistic answer is going to be no. Um, but I'm definitely a realist. I tend to not towards full-on pessimism, but uh, the thing for me is that I think we'll hit the 80-20 the divide. We'll get the 80% that we can get with whatever efforts we've got now, 
And then we'll look at what's left and we'll tackle the 80% of that. There's always going to be people that need better service. There's always going to be more to do. What we just got to try and do is find the good solution now that's going to get us the best bang for the buck in the effort and just get something done. Like if it's not going to be perfect, none of the solutions are perfect. Let's just get something done. And that is actually the moment when we were talking a few weeks ago, that, that sense of get something done is why I thought you'd be great guests. Uh, it, it echoes conversations I have with Travis. Uh, Travis, uh, what, what are we going to be doing in three years? Are we going to have people in Minneapolis that, uh, that have low income? Are we going to be able to have almost all of them connected, most of them connected? Mm, I think I'm going to have to be, uh, be with the guys here that you know we'll try to do as many as we possibly can. It all starts with one. And if we can, you know, then goes to two, then, you know, et cetera. But you're over a hundred already at this point. Yeah. You know, the challenge you run into is, is there's plenty of demand, but it's the, the, the barriers of getting technology delivered are quite high. You know, we've talked about this before, where just trying to get a licensing agreement to bring your facility into an MDU that has people that want it could be a one day challenge. It could be a five year challenge, depending on who the building manager is or who the building owner is. And then are we talking about this 25-3 definition of broadband or are we talking about something good? Well, um, as loyal listeners will know, um, before next February, we're going to have a new definition of broadband so I can continue my tradition of never paying for wings. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's my continued belief. <laughs> so if at 25-3, I think it'll be easier. At anything usable, I think it'll be more challenging. Okay. I think these are going to, I mean, I, I think it's very hard to argue what do you with, think? with Frost. What do you think? I, I think his 80-20 rule is right on. Um, I think we're going to have communities though, in which dang near everyone can get a decent service. And we're going to, but there's going to be other places where they haven't taken local action, where the federal government programs are really hit or miss. So, so I think, you know, the three of you are lining up with what I would say, which is that getting it to everyone there's no priority from the states and the federal government, no matter what the talking points are. No one really cares that much about getting that done. But in the communities where we see a real effort, I think most people will be connected. Um, I mean, Travis, let's, so, I mean, to give you a sense, I think, um, I think if the city of Minneapolis stepped up and tried to help rather than just continually demanding to know when you're going to solve all their problems. <laughs> like, I think in three years, you could solve this if you well, had some help. You know, I don't know about the, uh, the cruise IO guys, but every time there's an election cycle, it becomes a pretty interesting topic for us to talk about. Once the election cycle is behind us, there's this nice period of quiet until the next election cycle comes up. So um, I think it's going to be the responsibility, quite frankly, of the local ISPs and the local uh, providers to bring these services in, utilizing whatever they can, uh, if it's grant money, if it's local money, if it's their own money, uh, to try to solve this problem. But we also have to talk about the desire. You know, do people that want it can get it. There's, you know, there's also a fair number of people that really are not, believe it or not, are not all that interested in internet connectivity. So we've got to, when you say yeah. everybody, I would say everybody that wants it or needs it. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think there's also a lot of people, I think, who are just intimidated by it, who are worried about, have legitimate concerns about security, who don't feel confident in their ability to use it safely, mm -hmm. which um, is a very legitimate point of view. Let's, before we do telecom peekaboo, let's talk a little bit more about where, where James and Frost are coming from. So California, 
amazing land. Um, you've got Northern California, which is the Bay Area, and you've got Los Angeles, which is the southern part. And then there's other places that everyone ignores. Um, where does Santa Cruz lie into that? Fall into this? So we're. Uh, oh, go ahead, James. We we're just south of San Francisco, an area locally called the Central Coast, with our. Santa Cruz and the neighboring counties around the Monterey Bay make, make up a central coast. We're a community adjacent to Silicon Valley, but also the further south and inland you go, very agricultural community. Um, so a lot of rural areas, a um, lot of reasonably big cities. You know, the as um, Travis, I'd agree with Travis that certainly, you know, this issue it comes to the forefront at election season, but you know, a hundred times more than any election season, this pandemic of the last 12 months has really been, you know, a fantastic marketing campaign for, for the digital divide. And one thing that really sparked the interest of the communities here and the elected officials here was a photo that went viral of a couple of young kids doing their, um, doing their uh, homework in a parking lot in Salinas in the our neighboring county of Monterey, a pretty big city down the coast from us. So pictures worth a thousand words and that really got people's attention and really kicked off what we were able to do with our equal access initiative that, that we've had a fair amount of success with uh, addressing. You know, we always look at its availability and its affordability we're looking at building out in those rural areas, but the majority of the kids and families who really didn't have access to a good internet connection, they were, the majority of them were based in urban areas where the internet infrastructure did exist. It just wasn't accessible to them because they simply couldn't afford the plans that were on offer from the yeah, local I, cable companies. I saw a thing about this recently, and I can't remember where I saw it now. I wish I'd, I'd grabbed the link, but there was a statistic that just stunned me. It said that there's a higher percentage of people that don't have access to broadband in urban areas than in rural areas. Yeah, I think it yeah, was in that New York Times New York article this week. Yeah, yeah. I think and commonly so it's was, believed to be three to four times. Yeah. yeah. And that's, James talked about the two big gating factors that we've seen, the affordability and the availability. And availability is the one that everyone's talking about, right? Availability, you gotta build it, there's gotta be availability for people that want it. But affordability is just as big. And it's something that's incredibly challenging to tackle. You look at the affordability of an internet connection in the US compared to the affordability of internet connections in other countries. And it doesn't look like a great comparison but then you got to realize the U.S. is a dramatically different landscape from an infrastructure point of view. And building that infrastructure is incredibly expensive. And there's a lot of fragmentation in the industry that adds, you know, layer on layer. Um, so it, there's a lot of challenges out there. And I think, like, you know, that 80-20 thing that we've been talking about, that's a, a key way to look at it. We're never going to find a solution that serves everyone. There's got to be different tools in the toolbox to serve people that are very remote and people that are right in the middle of cities. Um, there, there just isn't a one size fits all solution. So but we're gonna we've be- We've gotta tackle the ones that we can. 
Right. And we're going to, we're going to be talking about that in this show. I just have to say that my blood started boiling two hours ago when I learned um, about a discussion that's happening in DC. Um, you know, you brought up the, the three to four times the number of people um, that are, um, there's three to four times as many people in urban areas as rural that don't have access. And um, we uh, saw through the American Rescue Plan money that was given to cities and clearly intended to help build broadband infrastructure to resolve some of this challenge. And then um, the Treasury Department decided to limit that to basically say no, even though, you know, half of the kids in Baltimore didn't have internet access because Comcast serves Baltimore pretty, pretty regularly, you probably can't really spend this money there, which is just atrocious. And we're working through that. Now I understand legislators are considering clawing back half of that money that they had already told cities was going to be sent to them. And, and then it would be used in the infrastructure package. Uh, and so it's like one of these classic deals of being like, all right, you all got excited to actually to spend some of this money on infrastructure, whether that's water infrastructure, broadband infrastructure, other things. Now we're going to take it back. <laughs> and and quite possibly the money that was like going to be available to connect like Baltimore kids who have no Internet access effectively might be going to build roads in, I don't know, rural Nevada. Like, <laughs> I just I, I, I'm beyond myself with just how screwed up things can get in D.C. with these with these discussions. So um with that, um, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about actually not getting lost in the, the disappointing wasteland of, of federal policy, but about what can be done when people just put their heads together and say, all right, what do we do if we're, if we're MacGyver? We're going to MacGyver it. I'm going to use a reference that, that hopefully all of us get. Our, our millennial viewers might be looking on Wikipedia right now. But There was a remake, um, there was a remake TV show. That gonna... Oh, good. Terrific. I'm sure it was wonderful. <laughs> At least as so, good as the old one. So this is an easy one, um, uh, an easy game of telecom peekaboo. Um, and Travis, um, so usually Travis just explains to us what we're looking at. Um, this is actually pretty similar to another one we did recently. Um, but um, I'll explain why I wanted to run this one up, Travis. So what are we looking at here? So you really like to stump me on the cable plant, don't you? The cable. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, I guess that's from your backyard. No, no, this is actually um, Woodbury. Um, Woodbury. So I was out doing a... some photography uh, last night. I stopped the car when I was driving home. So it looks like just a, it looks like a st standard Comcast distribution with an apple an amplifier just, on it. There's so much dang fiber here. Like this bundle is so big. Well, it's that's probably a... copper. It's probably copper. I think that's all copper. Mm -hmm. There might okay. be a fibers. There might be a fiber strand in there. But yeah, that's all. That's all the legacy cable network. Oh yeah, okay. there is some fiber in there because you can see the horseshoe there. You that's what so that's what I was coming there. over to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I want to ask. Snowshoe, snowshoe. Yep. For people who aren't familiar with the snowshoe, what, yep. what is that? Slack, fiber slack. So if there's a cut, they can pull it down off there, splice it back up, and then spool it back up on the on the guide wire. So I mean, we're talking about what 150 feet between poles, like um, 100 feet between poles. What are we looking at often? Yeah, let's go with that. You know, it depends on where you're at, depending well, on how much how much slack is here that that's useful. Oh, there could be thousands of feet in there because they don't they don't have those at every pole. If you look further down the leg, mm -hmm. there may be one of those every few blocks. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's just slack there in case of a fiber cut. You'll have the same thing in handholes where you when you open the handhole, you'll see the the loops at the bottom of the handhole. 
Mm-hmm. It's all about because you need to be able to get it into your splice trailer to actually fusion splice everything back together. It would really suck to hang off that pole with your fusion splicer trying to put it together. So, yes, Slack. Frost, anything you want to add for people that are learning about how this stuff works? Um, the single biggest thing, if you're learning how this stuff works, is listen to everyone you can, talk to everyone you can, and soak it all in. Like, I still don't know how all of this stuff works. I'm constantly learning. Um, you just got to be willing to continue to learn and talk, talk to people that have done it before. The funny part is a lot of times they don't take down the old stuff. So when you look up there, you'll see four or five or six generations of technology and they just kind of grown on top of each other. So you don't know what actually all is being operated still. Each pole is a history lesson. Hanging on that old coax. Yeah. Yep. And then below there, that was the, that would have been CenturyLink's cables right below it. So that's a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just, I was, one of the things I found interesting about that was just the size of the bundle, because in some places where that run was the lowest attachment on the pole, it was just, I mean, it was sagging tremendously. It was, I mean, it was down like, you know, 10 feet above, above the ground. Um, Remember um, in our area, and I don't know about out in California, but in our area, the, the CLEC is the bottom one or the, and then you have the cable and then you'll have the power above that. So, and it'll be that way, but what you'll, you, you are correct. What you'll see is you'll see cables drooping over into each other's space uh, quite often. Yeah. Cool. So that was our, our fun um, little, little side game. I'm going to try and get some, some better stuff up to stump you with. It's been pretty routine lately, Travis. I, I need some folks to ship me some stuff in. So well, yeah, Frost, this, you know, yeah. if you have anything fun and that's in like, and really hard to name, you should send it to me yeah, after the super show. Super obscure. Like an old ricochet note or something. Those are always <laughs> I'm trying to remember what those all are. We've certainly got some crappy overloaded poles that we could yeah. take pictures of and send out yeah. in santa cruz you're luckier you're you're less likely to find a straight standing true pole than you are to find the 12 that are leaning really uh, we did uh we did on our on our project estimate um they estimated that they would have to replace every third pole wow 30k a pole so you guys travis avoids the poles like the plague are you guys ever on poles? we we avoid the poles like the plague too for that reason <laughs> okay yeah yeah we we decided to build ours all underground are you guys all yeah. underground is, all, is your, all the uh, fiber plant that we've built is underground and nice. everything that we plan to build will be underground yeah. i mean partly to avoid the poles and partly just because it's just better it's, oh i i always tell people i sleep real well at night when storms yeah. come through yep so let's let's start with um with my understanding was when you're looking at this, you you're running a fiber ISP. Um, you have some wireless, and, and you decide that you want to try to figure out how to help folks during the pandemic, or maybe yeah. maybe even a little bit before. But my sense was is that you first tried to deal with the uh, state of California programs and and kind of try to go what we might think of as the official route, like the um, to try to help folks out. So where did that start? Yeah. So we, I mean, we've done projects and. Um, put together projects at the federal and the state level for 10 plus years, 15 years, I think maybe we were partnered with our local broadband consortium uh, for an application. We've had at least one successful California state funded application. We've put in a couple others, but the one that really got me was the Ardolf application. And I looked in our area, it was just piecemeal. 
there were bits and pieces in the Cantu, but we couldn't see any way to put together enough of them that it was going to be worth doing anything with because they were so desperate and so small. Um, and it's kind of been an ongoing frustration with uh, grant programs, state and federal programs, that they're tailored in such a way that you've got to have like a really specific project set that fits them. And in some places that definitely works. And those projects are definitely tailored for specific targets. Um, but I just got really frustrated with the idea of crafting projects just to go after the money. Um, and so James and I started talking about this and that frustration. And, and we basically said, Why don't, let's just find a way to do what we want to do, do what we're good at, do what we feel can make a difference in our community and for our business. And let's just do that and then see if we can back our way into funding properly. Because to me, that's the way the funding should work. Things should be happening. And if you fund them, they, that should be a multiplier rather than making projects just to draw funding from the pot. And so we'd been talking about that. And then when the pandemic hit and all of our local schools went remote, um, James has been working for the last few years with our uh, local county office of education. And they reached out to us and said, hey, we've got all these kids and the southern part of our county is heavily agricultural. And so a lot of these families have never had internet connections at home. And so they reached out and said, hey, can you help? And he said, yeah, sure, we can help. We'll do a few of these connections. We'll make them free and we'll make them 15 bucks a month after that. It was the target they needed. And, you know, we can do a few dozen of these. We just, out of the goodness of our hearts, we can, we can make it happen. We'll worry about the money later. Well, turns out there were hundreds of families, not a couple of dozen and up to about 4,000 families in this one school district. And the CFO started asking, how are you gonna make this work financially? Um, and so James and I started talking to everyone we knew and we came up with this equal access model. James, do you wanna talk a little bit about how we put the model together? Yeah, sure. Um, so we, working with the County Office of Education, that was kind of one leg of the table. You know, so you've got a Cruzeo, a medium-sized independent ISP, we're building our own infrastructure, we can mobilize quickly, we can build infrastructure quickly. The County Office of Education, um, they had a great need to get subsidized service out to their kids, and they also, by their nature, they have a large number of real estate assets that are fairly evenly distributed throughout the county in school districts. Um, so we had a potential there to partner to say, okay, we can build wireless pops, feed them with wireless or fiber and distribute wirelessly to kids in the area. Just give us an agreement. We'll put gear on your rooftops. And so we started to work on that. And while we were doing that, we had, you know, the photograph of the kids in the Taco Bell parking lot came out. We started to get a lot of phone calls and the questions from people in our community saying, how can we help with this issue? So suddenly we were in a place where the community was mo kind of mobilized and asking, what can we do to help? So um, these are, some of these are your customers, some of them are businesses. Uh, some of them are customers, here. businesses, community members, community leaders, um, um, and we started to think, what can we do, you know, if there's people wanting to help fund this, uh, Frost had already done some work 
with our local community foundation in Frost's other life. He works with our local Shakespeare organization and they had a fundraising platform. So we set up a call with the local community foundation and we asked them, how would we even go about this? Could, would we need to set up our own nonprofit? They said they could act as that fiscal entity. So suddenly we had the third piece of the puzzle in place. Now we've got a community foundation nonprofit that people can donate to um, and, and see if we can't take this idea of partnering with the school district and turbocharge it with a sort of influx of seed capital to get things off the ground. So we launched the Equal Access Fund um, over the next three or four months, we raised uh, over three quarters of a million dollars from the local community. We started using that to build out wireless points of presence on the school buildings and help pay some of the, um, make up some of the difference on the subsidized connections that we were providing to the kids. So suddenly we had a means to make Cruzeo, the business entity, somewhat whole for the hundreds of free internet connections we were doing and also fund new infrastructure development in areas that it might not make business sense for Cruzeo to build out new infrastructure to um, if we didn't have this seed capital and we didn't have this to push us forward. So that that's those are the three elements that put it together. And those are the three elements that Frost and I even started to think you know, this is maybe, this is not going to solve the problem nationwide, but this kind of local collaboration between three partners, basically just doing what they do anyway, and doing something that serves each partner's own goals. Maybe this is something that's replicable, and we could take this and show it to other communities. And it could be something that's a, a tool in the toolbox of other communities nationwide, who have probably got a local ISP, a school district, and a community foundation of some sort that they could pull together to just like we did and, and do what you were talking about, Chris, and just sort of roll up, roll up the sleeves and get on with it and, and make a difference quickly rather than going through a months-long process of applying for funds and all of the everything that goes along with that. So to recap for, for our, our poor listeners, um, the the three entities are basically the schools which provide vertical assets right um effectively and the u which uh, provides a technical capacity uh, to do it and then the foundation is basically keeping track of the money and making sure that um that uh you can actually get um uh, tax benefits from from participating and things like that i'm curious you know frost um i'll, I'll throw it to you in a second i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that you've played puck in some of those shakespeare um activities um <laughs> No? Okay. Um, it would be bad for everyone if I got on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious, if you did not have that relationship, um, given the, the amount of support that's coming out of the community, like, do you feel like you would have just made a relationship one way or another? Like, was it important that you already knew folks there, or would that have just come along a little bit later anyway? So I, I think it greased the skids. And let me I'll touch on that. I just want to touch real quick. There's one other big benefit that the school district brings to this. So that community partner. We've got the vertical assets was a big plus. The most valuable part of the school district was the pre-qualification of users. So a big part for us that was that we didn't want to get into some kind of administrative program where we're 
making a decision as to whether someone deserves a low cost internet connection. So we talked to the schools and we said, hey, how do we, how do we work this out? How do we qualify people? And they said, well, we've got a free and reduced lunch program. And we said, great, okay, if they qualify for that, we'll give them the service at the reduced price. And they said, well, what do you need to see? And we said, we don't need to see anything. If you say they, they deserve it, that's good enough for us. And we know that that's a really low bar to pass and that's on purpose. But we wanted, I would rather see someone get into this program that maybe could have afforded the internet connection on their own than not see someone get into the program that needs an internet connection at home to get their kids into school. So that was a key part of it was that, that community partner does the administrative qualification because it means that the ISP doesn't need to add that burden and make it harder for anyone to get it. Um, so that was a big part of it. But as far as the relationships, there was definitely value um, in the fact that Cruzio had partnered with the County Office of Education in the past. And there was value in the fact that I knew our community foundation because that gave us credibility going into this, these discussions. It gave us the ability to come to the table, not as a cold call to a school district, but as a community partner that they were already familiar with. Now the individual districts didn't know us, but the, community, the, the County Office of Education made the call in the introductions and said, hey, we've got these guys that we've worked with. They've helped us solve problems before. Let's get around a table. And that was a key part of what we're trying to carry forward with Equal Access. We want to be able to say, okay, if you're in, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of Iowa um, and, and someone wants to try and pull this kind of thing together, we want to try and build uh, a network of people that can help make those introductions. And the thinking here is that a school district in Iowa is going to be more willing to hear a call from a school district that's done this somewhere else or a county office of education that's done this somewhere else. And that is going to facilitate that initial conversation and lend some startup credibility to the ISP in their community or in the neighboring community that wants to come to their town. And for the community foundations, what we found is, and we've got a couple of other people that have kind of spun up one of these for themselves in their community. Um, the ability of the community foundation in another community in another community to reach out to the community foundation in Santa Cruz and say, wait, what did you do? What, what is this idea? And for it to come from someone in their industry um, or in their field that understands their challenges and they can say, no, it's going to be okay. You just got to do this, this, this. That lends that instant credibility and it can really grease the skids and jumpstart those relationships that James and I have been working these relationships for years, and I'm a constant advocate at ISP association meetings, and quite frankly, with anyone I talk to about, you know, get to know your counties, get to know your school administrators, get to know everyone in your industry, even if you're not working with them now, three years from now when something comes up, the fact that they know your name and your face is going to be valuable. Um, so trying to help jumpstart that a little bit is a big part of this. Now let's talk briefly about what happens then. So you start off offering a free service for some limited period of time and then settle on a sustainable price at $15 a month. Um, so what do, what do families get at $15 a month? And then how, does, how do all the money flows work? So uh, let me throw to you, James, first, and then um, we'll go to Frost next. So the families who sign up for the equal access service, they get the ex exactly the same service that we're selling the full price on our network, which is a uh, 100 by 100 wireless connection in most cases, or in some cases it could be in a building that's fed by fiber. 
Um, but uh, 100, up to 100 uh, averages at about 75 up and down. Um, we give them a wireless hardware, wireless router for in the home that's included in the $15 price. So that'd be $75 for the service plus $10 for the rental hardware at the off the shelf list price. Um, and we do it for 15 after either three to 12 months, depending on the um, entity that's pre-qualifying them. We're doing 12, first 12 months free through the school districts at the moment. So they get, it was important to us that um, we weren't putting out a capped or limited or slow speed connection, like some of the internet essentials type products. It was something we wanted to really focus on. If, if we're looking to bridge the digital divide, then we should be bridging it fully and offering the same service to these folks as we're offering to people who are paying full price. Um, so that's the service. Um, we charge, so the sub subscriber pays either zero or 15 bucks a month, depending on where they are in their cycle. Um, we draw about 40 bucks a month from the community fund per subscriber. And then the remainder, the remaining 30 bucks, that's basically Cruzeo subsidized that portion. So that, that's how, that's the breakdown of the service subsidies um, that we worked out with the community foundation and the other partners. Excellent. Um, Travis, I want to, I want to give you a chance to jump in. I, I do want to, we're going to reserve time to talk more technically about some of the technologies and, and the philosophy behind how to use the technology, but is there anything you want to, you want to clarify, or do you want to talk a little bit about your experience working with the school district and, and a kind of a similar way in some ways? Well, I guess I have a few quick questions here. So do you roll a truck out to the user's house and mount a wireless access point on the outside of their home Yep. Run run a Cat Five or Cat Six cable into their house, and then give them a router. So you get them going, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Any sense of the retention after the twelve month period is over? Or well, we're approaching are we not, the end of twelve months. Yeah, yep. we're approaching the end of twelve months from the first album, so we're going to see here pretty quick. Okay. But and a lot of people have already probably going to stick. And a lot of the earlier ones were on a three-month cycle, and a lot okay. have already rolled off it. And yeah, the attrition rate's been pretty low um, so far. It was definitely a concern with yep. the model, Travis. That um, we usually we like we like to have um, some charge at the beginning when we do things like this because we think it helps with retention if somebody's paying something rather than there's that sticker shock after three months even if it's only going to 15 but so far retention pretty good we haven't had a lot of cancels of the equal nice, access okay. subscribers at all Travis, the reason that you're asking that just to, for people who are watching, I think, is that because you don't want to provide service for someone and then never get a single dollar from them? Is that the concern? Well, so the thought is, at least we've had the thought, first off, genius move, whoever came up with the uh, school pre-qualifying the, um, the, the, the customers, because that, that's a real big challenge. You know, who should you do it for yeah. and who shouldn't you do it for? So that's that's uh, whoever you have at your school district. Kudos to them for taking that challenge on. Um, yeah, more. So, Chris, the theory that I've always had is if if you can get a high quality internet product in somebody's hands who maybe today say they don't want it, 
after 12 months, have, have, have they merged that into being a component of their life like the rest of us have? Like for me, if the internet goes down for a minute, I don't know what to do. But, you know, for, and that's just because I'm a, you know, an addict, but, yeah. you know, for there, there are a lot of people. I'll walk you through it. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of people that are not comfortable with technology, but I think they quickly become comfortable with technology. And I think the guys are doing it right. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> are those box books or something? That's like, yeah. No, the, I don't um, know if the know, video was on me or not, but it was a bunch <laughs> of books. <laughs> okay. No, you know, the, the, the idea being that if they start to incorporate, technology into people's lives do do they do they become you know yeah become used to it yeah i think there's kind of a mixed bag there a lot of these families that we're connecting are agricultural families and there's a lot of you know the southern part of our county which is the poorer part of our county is farm labor and that's the vast majority of these kids are coming from farm labor families some of them are migratory farm labor families and i do want to talk about the the farm worker housing that we've done but what we're finding is even if the parents aren't getting computers, because a lot of these parents have never used computers and don't have a smartphone, or maybe they have a smartphone, but that, that's already connected to the internet. Um, but the kids in the families are heavily in need. And once they've got an internet connection at home and a Wi-Fi service covering their home, it, it ain't going away. Um, for those kids they're going to convince their parents look this is necessary and for school more and more like it, it's just not optional for a lot of these kids going to school to be able to keep up on schoolwork. and so that's been more the message of not that this is a, a nice convenience but that it's a necessity for anyone in k-12 or higher education in the states right now if you don't have an internet connection at home you're you're lagging behind you're you're held back from the rest of the class because they've got access to what you don't have and did you think it was the 15 dollars a big hurdle and so here let me give you a little backstory on this because we've chris and i have gone around for years on what is the right you know what is the right price and my couple of my friends have said well it can't be zero because people think there's a catch right what do you what are you doing at zero what are you selling right what are you eavesdropping on what i'm doing so is at the $15 price point, do you see people pretty easily adapt that into their monthly budget or is it too soon to tell? It's Some a little soon to tell. It's um, the yeah. zero and, and I think we shared the same concerns and had the same debates. Um, and the zero dollars a month was kind of at the, at the behest of the school districts. And I think because it's coming through the school districts that takes care of some of that um, uncertainty and mistrust, Travis, that if it okay. were just cruise AO yep. coming, I think that that would be a significant barrier. But when it's the school district saying, no, this is an amenity that we've worked out that you can take advantage yeah. of. But I do think you're right, too, that getting people at 12 months of having a good solid Internet connection, I think we think is going to be enough to make these households internet households for life okay. right? there's no going back and education is a part of that so that's a that's a piece of the puzzle that we've been a little slow incorporating but we think bringing in local groups like high school students can do this and there's other local community groups that are working on kind of the educational aspect of like internet 101 here's how you use the connection 
But I think the kids in the home are doing that job with the parents too. And it was another reason we wanted this to be a full speed, uncapped connection. And we didn't want to place any restrictions on it. Like this is only for use for schoolwork. You can only use this Chromebook that the school's given you. We encourage the families say, no, the whole family can use this connection. This is for access the internet to access other community services, do online healthcare, watch Netflix, whatever you want to do. This is your connection. Use it. And we do think that, yeah, through use and through the kids educating the older generation, the that this is not something that a lot of I don't I think that the the percentage of families that just say turns out we never needed it in the first place is going to be pretty low. Yeah, and that's that brings up there's some some question discussion in the chat room actually from even the beginning about the cost issue, and and I think there's multiple things that can be true. One is I think that in in more than five years, um, you know, maybe it'll take 10, but um, I think families will be willing to, even, even low-income families will be willing to pay $50 a month for broadband service if they have to. Um, I mean, these are families that are often paying, in California, I'm going to guess, well, in excess of $100 a month for electricity, um, and, and they find the money for that. Um, and so there is, to some extent, a question of, of um, prioritization. And that changes as people do get used to it. They'll often find that they can save money by using it or that it, it cuts out, it allows them to cut other yeah. bills or be more efficient. Um, but it's also true that um, if, if families are unable to or unwilling, it makes sense for us to pay for it, like just sort of society more generally, because we also get benefits from them being on it. And, and and that's part of the reason that I think it's important not to just adopt this sort of like, it's 2021, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, figure out how to pay $65 a month, you know, or or more depending on, on the providers and the, and the levels of service. Um, and so I feel like it's, it's a complicated question, but like this interim period, we can sort of show people and figure out how to pay for it in the way that you're describing. And then over time, more of them will be willing, they'll see the value that it's worth $65 a month, if that's what it is, or 75 or more. Yeah, yep, absolutely. absolutely agree. And the late, you know, the EBB is sort of a federal equivalent of the same theory that we put into practice of let's just basically subsidize that internet and get people online. Are you um, using the EBB? We are attempting to, yeah. We are, we're, <laughs> Describes a lot of folks. We are EBB eligible provider and uh, we're working through the platform and the process and just every day reminds us why we liked equal access so much. And is it your billing system that charges the $15 a month when that's time or does the foundation collect yes. it? No, we yeah. charge that. Okay. Travis, well, do you have any other questions? Go ahead, Frost, and then I'll give Travis another shot here. Well, I was... Sorry, I was just going to say all of these customers are Cruise.io customers. They're online. They get the same customer service, the same account management as our other customers. They're just tagged. It's basically just a discount code for their connection. Yeah. So have you guys given any thought to the kids grow up and move out? And do you, you know, what's kind of like the next step of the internet service? Or is your thought to leave it at the $15 range kind of indefinitely? Yeah, well... We're pretty pragmatic, um, and I think we'll keep looking at this as we go. Um, a lot of the focus with the school district and the families that we're getting was on specifically getting the currently enrolled kids connected. Um, 
I think we'll definitely see, you know, as, as kids graduate high school and move away, are we going to see some families disconnect? Maybe, but honestly, by that time, my assumption is that the kid's going to explain to the parents, hey, when I go to college or if I move out, here's how we can stay in touch. This internet, internet connection means that, you know, we can be on FaceTime or we can be on Zoom or whatever if I'm, if I'm out of town. I think yeah. the last two years have dramatically changed how we use technology to communicate over distances. Um, as far as the pricing goes, we, we committed to the donors to keep it at 15 for three years. We're, our model that we, we believe we'll be able to keep it at $15 indefinitely for the subscribers who sign up at that price. The model is built around for the, and this goes again to the, each of those three partners in this model can advise the similar partner in another community. We, we as the ISP can talk to other ISPs about how this actually makes sense for your business, right? We're building new points of presence that can serve several hundred subscribers for everyone that we build. Now, some of the points of presence, some of the new distribution spots that have been funded through equal access are more valuable to Cruzeo than others, right? Some of them are in areas that we probably would never have built because they don't have a commercial value, but some of them are in areas where we're able to sell 50, 60, 70, 80% of the inventory on that pop to full price subscribers that will always be there and will always make that hub profitable, even if 25, 20, 25%, 30% of the subscribers are paying nothing or $15 a month. And that was a key part of those vertical asset agreements where, you know, we've had situations in the past where we've talked to school districts and they said, okay, yeah, you can go on our roof, but only to serve low-income families or only to serve families with kids in our district. And with the, these discussions, we were able to say, no, you don't want that. What you want is for Cruzio to be tied in by our regular customers. We want to be handcuffed to maintaining that site yeah. so that we're not just going to abandon it when it's not profitable for us. So we're, we're building ourselves in. We're building future us into this community in such a way that we have to maintain that network. And then the flip side of it is we said, look, if we can use these sites to sell to any of our customers and reach the next site, just the same way we'd use any other vertical asset, we'll not only serve low-income families from these new sites that we're building, but we'll make that low-income opportunity available across our entire network. So that means that, yeah, we're building out, you know, we've built out a dozen new sites in this one town um, on a dozen schools, but we already had four sites in that town that cover out large chunks of it so we filled in a lot of gaps but now customers on those four existing sites have access to the same level of product um, and so we really baked it into the dna of the company so it's not just this little different thing that we're doing um, it's it, baked it, in it's baked it's baked into the equal access model in ways that you know I'm, quite honestly frost and i didn't fully think through from the beginning we just sort of got on with it and some of these things that make the model sustainable have just kind of we've realized along the way like frost talks about hey school district you want us to sell full price gear service because 
that makes us care about it that's baked into the model and it just makes sense and the same with we can we talk to other isps you know you actually don't have to care about bridging the digital divide this makes sense for your business you know this will expand your network if you're serving if you care about serving these families at need that's a bonus but this is actually this makes good business sense so, so each, each of the partners they just have to pursue their own goals so one of the, the things I think the schools are thinking about, at least if they're anything like the schools here, they might be charging, um, you know, in excess of, you know, 20, 25,000 um, per year to cell phone companies to have their gear up. And if they start making exceptions, then they might yeah. be nervous about, about that. Um, but I, I, I agree with you, but I'm just trying to point out the, uh, a little bit of the, the other pressure yeah. now. Um, Frost, I don't know uh, if everyone will realize this, but I think you have a closer relationship with your hairdresser than Travis or I do with ours. And I understand that your hairdresser had a, a role in this in terms of talking about how to collect some of the money. Absolutely. Yeah, this was, I was, you know, clearly this takes some maintenance and I don't have that kind of skill. It would look significantly less impressive if, uh, if I did it myself. Um, and I was sitting in this, this chair. Doesn't just happen, people. Doesn't just happen. <laughs> not, not natural. Um, and, uh, and I was sitting in the chair. This was right at the start of the pandemic. And one of the things that we did at the start of the pandemic was we looked around our community and said, hey, our businesses are hurting. We've had businesses that have been shut down. And we're, we're fans of a great acronym here at Cruzo. And we, we did what we called the BURP, the Business Internet Relief Program, basically just so we could have the BURP acronym. Um, <laughs> but Basically, we said, okay, for businesses, if you've had to close down because of the pandemic, just call us. We'll stop your bill for three months. We're not going to shut off the connection, but we know you're hurting. We're just going to give you three months. Or if it's going to be shut off for longer, let us know. You know, we'll work with you. We didn't cut anyone off for non-payment. We just said, look, talk to us. We'll find a way to make it work. And that was incredibly successful. I mean, clearly, it let us keep the customers. It meant that when they went back to work, the billing just started again. Um, but when things started, uh, there was a, a short window after our initial shelter in place here in Santa Cruz. And I went in to get my hair cut and my hairdresser was so thankful that we'd done this because it meant that she didn't need, it was one less thing she needed to deal with. You know, she had rent, she had electricity, she had all these other things that didn't go away, but this was just one less thing. And it wasn't huge, but it was something. And she said, well, hey, is there a way that, that I can help out with this thing you're doing? And I was like, what do you mean? She says, well, my bill isn't a rounded up number. Why don't you guys just round up my bill and put that extra money into this fund? And I'm sure other people would do it as well. And so we thought about it and our billing system, unfortunately, didn't make it quite that easy for us. But we basically reached out to our customer base and said, hey, if you want to round up your bill a little bit, let us know how much. We'll bill you every month that one, five, ten dollars, whatever you want to add. If you want to give us 250, we'll do that too. Um, and we'll just put that straight into the fund to subsidize these internet connections. And we've had some pretty decent uptake with it. It's basically, you know, the Patreon model where it's just a little bit more on their bill. Cruzio eats the credit card fees and we just put it straight into the community fund. Um, and so that's a chunk every month that just goes towards helping those connections. So Travis, do you have another question? And before we, we finish up on technology? No, no, no. It's, it's very impressive. You know, I like the fact that they're actually helping people. You know, I guess the one thing I would, I would be curious about is, was your school district pretty active in this to help you guys get to success? You know, was there a champion over there that really helped push? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
that, 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 I got the sense of that because I'm not sure every community has that type of person. And, and that's one of the big challenges. Fortunately, the director of IT for, our, for the school district that we're working with was really on board and kind of saw the light in what we were, what we were pulling together and saw the value. Um, and so he was able to kind of champion it with the school board and, uh, and that, was a, that was a huge help. But that's where we're hoping that the credibility thing can come in because if another school district doesn't have that, I wanna get them on a call with Dan from our school district that we worked with because he'll be able to explain, hey, this is why it's good for the school district. Mm -hmm. And when a school district says that, yep. rather than an ISP mm -hmm. saying it, hopefully there's a little more weight. It still, it still took three months to negotiate the contract yeah. to get on the rooftops when we, while we were kicking our heels waiting to get the first links built. But well, three, three not months. bad in the, in the scheme of things. Chris, how long would it take us to get up on St. Paul's school's roofs, you think? Would it take us? 30 years, maybe. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd say you guys are pretty good with three months. Three months oh, yeah, is good. Are. I mean, yeah, because yeah. I mean, I mean, it's nice that you're working already at the director level. I have to think that helps if it was someone else yeah. who had to work their way through. Yeah. Um, so and not only that, but I mean, like I was, California is, is not considered to be the most nimble when it comes to, to government generally. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> really? No, that's always the first thing. They, they, when I was starting to learn about building fiber, they were like, hey, there's only two things you got to remember if you're going to build fiber. Don't do it in New York and don't do it in California. And I was like, well, great. <laughs> That's awesome. So there's, um, so you're using, um, well, tell us what technology you're using, but um, I, I want to make sure we get to the point. Um, you know what? There's one other thing. We're going to get to technology in a second. Farm worker housing. Did we cover that point, mm -hmm. Frost? Did you want to? Yeah. Sure so let me talk about the farm worker housing. One of the things that we, we talked to the school district, we got onto a bunch of schools. We got phase one, which was we're going to build out to five different school locations. One of them is the district headquarters. And that was basically, they said, here's the list of 32 addresses, which ones are gonna be useful to reach our community. Um, and so I went through them with Google Maps, spent a day and went, okay, I wanna go out and get on these five rooftops first. Let's pick five and go these. And it turned out that we could hit all five of those from somewhere that we already had service. And from there, there was a migrant farm worker housing community. It's actually two separate properties, but they're adjacent to each other and they're managed by our county housing authority. And the school district came to us and said, look, I've got 162 kids in this neighborhood. There's 143 homes, 162, 162 kids, and like 12 of them can get an internet connection. Can you help us out? And we looked at it and it's in, you know, it's migrant farm worker housing. It's tucked in a part of the town that nobody wants to see. It's right next to a landfill. It's behind a big stand of trees and it's where land was cheap. And there was no way to get to it. And then we found this one tiny little angle where we could get a line of sight back to one of the schools that we built to. So we built a, a gigabit to this community and we were able to do point to multi-point wireless distribution to get to all the homes. We dropped in service for 143 homes or 140 homes, two laundry rooms and an office, but 143 connections. And we got one of the local agricultural companies to to fund it so they basically underwrote it and so we were able to deliver free service to every unit in that complex for three years and because we worked with the property management um we just went in and we did all of them it wasn't individual customers didn't need to sign up for an account we just said hey we're coming in on this day we're doing your building and so every single one of those 143 units now has a wi-fi router and a password on the wall so they just come in and get connected the, the barrier for entry is zero and on 104 of those homes, they're occupied 
uh, from April to November. And so we went in in that gap um, and got it all installed so that when the families came back on April 1st this year, they started moving back in. It was all just there ready for them waiting. Uh, that was huge. That's one of the best things that we've done. It's one of the most satisfying projects that I've worked on here at Cruzeau. And do you have fiber to most of the schools or is this a lot of wireless links as well? It's a lot of wireless links. So this part of our community, there is fiber there. AT&T have the fiber and we can build wirelessly, quite frankly, for cheaper than we can lease fiber. So we, um, we fired up this project and we have a fiber hub in the downtown core of the main city that the school district covers, Watsonville in Southern Santa Cruz County. And so we have fiber hub into the downtown core. We've got two fiber paths out of it. And so we, we've got bandwidth for days. That's not a problem. We've got a high rooftop in one of the highest buildings. We've got lines of sight to most things. We're set. So from there, we were able to build out. Um, we partnered with uh, our licensed radio vendor who donated some hardware. Um, and they, uh, they gave us some 10 gigabit links. And so we built a 10 gigabit ring um, around the town through a couple of the sites and through one site that we already had. And then from that 10 gigabit ring, we're hanging off gigabit point-to-point -point links to individual sites and then point-to-multipoint 100 megabit service from there. And what is the, what is the technology that you're using for then um, the point-to-multipoint? So the point-to-multipoint, we use five gigahertz ubiquity equipment. Um, it's cheap and cheerful and it is quick to deploy and it, you know, as long as you're aware of where you get it, what you're getting into, it does the job. And then one of the things you said, and I'm going to let Travis ask the, the questions that the audience wants to hear, because I don't always know how to ask those. But one of the things I really thought was useful to raise up is that you wanted to standardize everything that you do um, with off-the-shelf hardware. And this, again, when we were talking, reminded me of Travis in terms of a strategy. You didn't want to get caught with anything that was too fancy or, or out of the norms. And so just tell us briefly about how that plays. Yeah, so we, um, early on, when we started working with wireless over 10 years ago, uh, and we were learning about wireless, we developed a band plan. And we decided that we wanted to keep it simple. Cruise I was kind of founded on this, and it's a principle that I like personally um, because I like to sleep quietly at night and not have to worry about things, honestly. And so I know that if we keep things simple and we try and standardize as much as possible, it just makes it easier to maintain. When something breaks, there's fewer different things we've got to try and remember, and it makes the network more maintainable by the entire team. And so we've really standardized on that. We have a total of, I think, three different radios that we use at client deployments at the moment. And we've aggressively phased out older versions. We have one type of radio that we've deployed across our entire network for access points. I think we have maybe four different antennas across our entire network for access points. We, we really aggressively standardized to the point where on switch and router hardware, we'll spend a little bit more than we need so that we can have one fewer model in the network. So we'll put a more expensive router somewhere than we need to buy a hundred or even a few hundred bucks um, because that's paid for the first time I don't have to go out there or you know, with the, the shelf spares that I don't have to carry. So that kind of simplification has been key to expanding Cruzeo's network for a long time. And it came in really critically useful in this project because it meant when we launched Equal Access, nothing of it was new. 
Um, you know, James talked a little bit earlier about all of the partners in these initiatives that we've put together are just doing what they were already doing. The school districts are just serving kids. The community foundation is just raising money and Cruzeo is just building internet connections. No one started doing anything particularly new. And that's kind of the, you know, we've talked about the secret sauce of equal access is that there's no secret sauce. We're all just doing what we know how to do and do well and, you know, pulling the cart in the same direction where we're going in the same direction. Travis. Oh, sorry. I hit mute. So I guess the question that I, that I kind of resonates in my head is, is what is your guys's opinion of where we leave wireless and start uh, considering uh, fiber deployments in, in for, I guess, business, small business, and then re ultimately residential, both single family home and MDU. And I guess I, I would back say that because we use wireless, as we always call it the tip of the spear. We'll throw wireless out because it's cheap, cheerful, and in some cases it's good enough, but it's not our long-term strategy. Our long-term strategy is to bring fiber behind it as soon as we can. Um, even though we do run into a few op opportunities where when you do fiber attach a wireless node, it's amazing how good that wireless mode performs, but a wireless node that is wireless backhauled how poorly it performs in contrast, uh, especially if you try to do it in the same band. So I guess I'm just curious where you guys kind of see the evolution and predominantly past 100 by 100, you know, as, yeah. as we so get multi gig. That's the, that's the big tipping point right now, again, past that 100 threshold. And what we found is, I talked earlier about the idea of a band plan. We don't backhaul in the same band as any distribution. In fact, none of our backhaul runs in bands that are prone to interference the same way that our distribution bands are. So we use five gigahertz point to multi-point to serve end users, but then we use 80, 60, sometimes 24, but we don't have a whole lot of 24 gigahertz left out there. Um, and we've got a bunch of license links that are multi-hundred megabit. So, so I guess maybe, maybe could, you, could you describe your, are you using sector antennas on top of building? Yeah. Okay. So, so what we'll do is we'll... We have, we have maybe a dozen Omnis on the network, but they're few and far between. And, uh, and my wireless engineer hates it whenever I say the word Omni. Um, but yep. our, our typical deployment is we've got, so in this Watsonville area, we've got a fiber hub. From that rooftop, we do 10 gigabit links out to ring locations. Yep. Line, of, ring line lo of sight, right? Line line, all line of sight. Yep. And then from those ring locations, We'll do sector antennas, usually yep. a half a dozen sector antennas on a roof to give us a good coverage. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll also do point to point gigabit links in 60 and 80 gigahertz um, out to other distributed sites. So where you're talking about a wireless node that's fiber backhauled works well, but a wireless node that's wireless backhauled doesn't. The key for us is that backhaul. And what we realized early on is that as long as we're doing backhaul grade links for backhaul they work great and we mesh our backhaul we run ospf across the network so that we've got redundancy but we very early on decided you know it'd be really easy to throw up a bunch of really cheap five gigahertz point-to-point -point links to, to bring backhaul to places but we would pay for it later and i'm really really thankful that we didn't and we spent a little bit extra money up front putting in and i'm a, I've just retired a dozen 24 gigahertz, um, 100 megabit links because 
we're never going to redeploy a 100 megabit link. I'll put in a 60 or an 80 instead to carry a gigabit across that path. Um, but so means, what, is, what is your guys' foliage coverage like out there? Do you, is there a lot of trees? Yeah. So Santa Cruz County is um, very hilly and full of trees. And before I got working on wireless, I loved that. And ever since I started working with wireless, I've started hating trees and rain and hills. And it's just weird. Um, but that's part of why we kind of hopscotch around. So we've, it's a challenge and there's areas that we haven't been able to serve. But for the most part, we're pretty successful about building around. We, just oper we operate a little differently, I think, than a lot of WISPs. Travis, I think Frost's just very conservative with the build-outs. So we don't see a lot of the issues that you might be referring to because we, you know, everything out the box, we just cut the, cut the maximum distance in half and even cut it in half again. And yeah. we build out very densely and 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 slowly and so we've sort of got these densely packed areas of coverage with mul multiple distribution points overlapping rather than stretching out this network over long distances but ultimately our strategy is the same as yours just i think probably less aggressively our strategy long term is still fill in with fiber as we build out and as we build in the customers so the other users understand. So it's it's rooftops that you guys are on, sector antennas on the rooftops, ubiquity equipment in the five gig band feeding the access component. So it's been a while since I used any ubiquity gear. Are you guys doing like GPS sync or any TDMA or TDMA? We're actually, we're not even using GPS sync on it yet. It's all just kind of manually engineered. We've rolled, okay. actually, I think I may be lying to you right now. I think we might've rolled GPS sync at a couple of sites. Okay. Um, but we it did not work particularly well for a very long time. Um, and so we, I, I was, I was kind of surprised. We're, we're big Cambium fans. Mm -hmm. They had GPS sync and TDD nailed. Yeah. That's why we, uh, we went with it. So I guess, you know, it leads the segment. Uh, the six gigahertz band is probably pretty attractive for you guys then as, as that starts to come down the road to get. Yeah. We're, we're really, yeah. We're looking at how that's going to, how that's going to apply. And, James mentioned earlier that I'm incredibly conservative on builds and that applies to new hardware and new technologies as well. Mm -hmm. um, Cruise.io is never bleeding edge. Um, we're usually pretty patient about seeing what new hardware is coming, seeing it deployed before we jump right in, in no small part because I don't want to have one-offs left on the network. I don't want to deploy something into production that we're maintaining for seven years that we don't like. Amen, amen. And honestly, and this is a kind of a little secret in the WISP industry, that's why you guys are still around. All yeah. these guys that are bleeding edge, they're they have a job now working. Yeah, they bleed. Yeah, yeah. No, we always stay one generation <laughs> behind on technology because yeah. I hate, especially some of this stuff that's very doesn't uses a unique support model. Like, we'll just leave it at that. Where yeah. uh, you know it's community support, I guess, for lack of a better term. I'd rather run last year's technology than this. I think uh, Dane Jasper is is waving to you guys. Um, I'm sure you all <laughs> know each other from the California scene. Oh yeah, we know Dane. Uh, he's a, he's a uh, been on the the show in the past. Uh, he's great. Uh, we have a question from the audience as to what GPS sync is. So in 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 wireless in the wireless, it, didn't, it did world, not come from Dane. I should say. <laughs> so the problem you have in wireless world, especially the way Frost and and we and we we roll them out, where we end up being our own worst self interference. 
And so if, 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 if you've got a radio over here and a radio here and they're pointed at each other, you're your own worst nightmare. So the idea behind GPS sync is you're always transmitting or receiving data at the same time. So you would no longer, you eliminate that, um, that, that, that in your self interference. And then if you overlay that with the TDD or TDMA type technology, then each person gets a time slot of bandwidth. So the, the number one problem you run into in the wireless world is if Chris Mitchell kicks up his big, you know, torrent download of data. You're and so you old a, man. Yes. And you have a very low signal strength and somebody else is trying to watch YouTube and they have a very high signal strength. It's something called air fairness. How much time do we share between each other? And if you don't have TDD and you're not in your self-interference, uh, it can be a very, I commend you, Frost, for uh, your, your channel planning to, um, to, keep, to keep things, you yeah. know, without interfering with each other. Yeah, it's, it is definitely something that has taken a lot of work on the setup and configuration and planning aspect. And our wireless engineer, Allison, deserves a shout out. She has absolutely nailed that. And we have aggressively added access points to sites beyond what a sane person might in a couple of them. Um, although certainly not as high as other people that I've seen. You guys are on the coast, right? You're, you're on the yeah. So are you able to take advantage of DFS Uni2 bands? Yeah, we've gotten kind of lucky. We've got a few APs that are in DFS bands, but get hits occasionally. And actually the last couple of weeks have been kind of rough for DFS okay. hits in our area, but we haven't been hit that badly. Um, but we're, it's kind of our, we'll use DFS when we have to, okay. but on most of our sites, we don't have to. The other thing is we try to keep power low. James talked about, you know, we cut distances in half and then half again. Um, and that's my joke about reading ubiquity spec sheets is take all the numbers, cut them in half, and then cut them in half again, and you're about reality. Um, but one of the things that we do is even on a nice RF elements horn, we don't deploy beyond two miles, maybe two and a half. And so we're able to deliver not only high quality service and high speed service, but it means that the range between our, or the difference in signals between a good signal and a bad single, signal on an AP is not that far. And we found that that has really, really helped us with network congestion management. Um, and is it safe to assume that in your part of the country, it's always sunny out every day and um, that you have the leaves are on the trees year round? You know, for, for about nine months out of the year, yeah. So the leaves are on the trees. We do definitely get a few big storms, um, okay. although I wish it would rain a little bit more in California because this 20 year drought could, uh, could take a leave if it felt like it. Um, but, uh, but we're definitely, we have the benefit of good weather. Um, and we do, yeah, we get maybe a couple of serious storms in the winter. So we're, you have we're a consistent that. RF environment then that you're yeah. playing. I always, I went and visited a guy in Tucson one time and he was complaining on how hard his RF plan was. And I'm looking around, there's no trees, there's no seasons. And I'm yeah. like, what? talking about this is the greatest rf environment like in minneapolis here the problem we have is we have four full seasons so in the dead of winter it's like a desert and you're just beaming into yourself interfering like crazy and in the summer it's like a hot sauna jungle here yeah so attenuation so we're, we're probably like you we've got to, you've got to play with your power levels quite a bit so you don't start blasting yourself out of the water so so as we're, we're is that nerdy enough down, for you, Chris? I just yeah, no, I think people are loving it. People are loving the standardization. I feel like that's something. And, you know, that, I, uh, I commend these guys too. I call it our Legos. So we have a box, right? And we have all of the, you know, like the Ciclu components, the Cambium components, all the fiber components are in the box. 
these are the only parts anyone's able to use to build any opportunity uh, in, in our in our network. So that we don't have any unique Lego pieces. And if somebody wants to introduce a new Lego, well, then you know that's a whole different vetting process. So absolutely, yeah. This is you're speaking my language. This is actually the second time today I've talked to someone and referred to the network building blocks we use as Legos. Yep. Like it's it's just the way to do it. Whether it's you know whether it's the fiber pieces, it keeps stock simple. It keeps training simple. It keeps planning simple. Inventory management simple. All of these things. The when we bought the Wisp that we bought, um, their attitude to because I said, what do you do? What equipment do you use when you bring a new customer online? They were like, oh, well, we don't know. It depends where they are. I was like, okay, that's a that's a bad sign. And I don't know Wisps. I was like, so how do you decide what kind of access point to put up? They were like, oh, we call Streakwave and we see what's on sale. And I'm yeah. just like, red lights are flashing in my <laughs> mind. Like, okay, we're going to change some stuff here. No, I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's crucial that, um, and I think tech people are notorious for liking the latest flashiest thing that's come out from a vendor. Yeah, well, my price. Yeah, and these vendors, I don't care who they are, they do half their R&D in customers' hands and the other half in their labs. So I'm just tired of getting awards from vendors saying how good a job we helped them debugging their platform. You know, so yeah, that's 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 a badge of shame, not a badge of pride. Badge of pride. So no, I I, I'm with you. You know, we're. Um, Standardized Legos, last a lot of it's last generation, but sleep at night, it's stable and reliable. I wanted to, to note, I think this is worth um, exploring. That makes the partnership with the schools so much more beneficial because you need that that distribution. Um, if you're if you're not pushing these things out to their um, their maximum limits in terms of how far they can go, having access to these schools which are centrally located, I mean, a lot of times you're connecting kids. You you told yeah. me that most of them are located pretty close to the schools exactly. as it is. Yeah, that's a key point of it. Like the vast, I mean, schools are a great example because everywhere in the country is covered by a school district, right? Or should be at least. That's the the idea behind a school district is everyone's going to be able to go to school. Now, it doesn't mean that there's going to be a school geographically close to everyone. There's some rural parts of this country. But at least in our area, something like 85% of students live within a quarter mile to half a mile of the school that they attend. That's huge for a wireless distribution standpoint. So we can put gear on that school rooftop and reach 85% of their constituency. Great, let's do it. It might be a, a, each region has its own challenges and there might be dials to tweak in the model, you know, and somewhere in the Midwest, maybe we're talking to them about getting access to all these schools and they're thinking, why would I ever want that? I can see the whole community from this single tower that I have in the middle of the county, but that's not the case in the central coast where the more distribution points, the better as we try to bob and weave around the trees and the hills and the buildings and the valleys. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Any, any last points? I feel like we've come to a, a good place to draw to a close uh, uh, rather than doing what we would like to do, which is continue on for another half hour. But <laughs> <laughs> finally, we always want to leave people wanting something more rather than saying, wow, they should have cut that off five minutes earlier. <laughs> Well, and James can tell you this. I'll just keep talking forever if you let me. So. <laughs> well done, guys. Well done. Well done. Yes, we yep. we really appreciate it. I think um, I mean I can just tell the 
the chat was was very interested. We had uh, we we kept our our double digits users throughout. So um, viewers, not users. Um, and um, I will let people know that next week we're going to take it off. Uh, we're not going to do a, a show uh, for Connect This. And also, I'm sorry, for Connect This. And uh, we're also not going to do a broadband bits, I think. We're um, just been a, what, it's what been are you a, doing? Hold on a second. It's been a hard week. But we've got, we've got a ton of content coming. We're going to do a sponsored series pretty soon that we'll announce and start recording maybe next week already. So, um, um, it's uh, going to be dealing with school districts again, actually. So this is perfect to lead into it. Um, but uh, we're going to be back then, I think the following week, talking about uh, wireless more um, with a focus on 5G. Uh, we're going to have some some folks on that know a lot about it. And I'm going to be making the case, maybe Travis will too, that uh, we just don't even need to talk about it. Like 5G could just disappear from the news environment and it wouldn't matter to anyone because no one's using 5G. So. Isn't it gone already? Because I'm waiting for 12G. That's the disruptive <laughs> technology. That's look the out. one. Yeah, when, when 12G comes, we look out, everyone. Game We're going to talk about whether it matters, um, or whether it will matter anytime in the next few years. So, uh, but I think it'll be a good a good conversation. I'm really excited about the guests we have lined up. And then at some future point, we're going to talk about Travis's Lego blocks. So Frost, maybe we'll have you back on to figure yeah, out what yeah, questions the problem with. So um, James, uh, really wonderful to have have you on as well. Um, Thanks, Chris. And I uh, really appreciate you reaching out to us to let us know what you're doing. And um, I'm happy to put people in contact with each other if folks want to reach out to talk about how to how to replicate this model. Um, but with yep, that, happy to talk to anyone. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And so uh, people should be thinking about how to connect to you and knowing that you'll be able to bring in a community foundation and a school contact to help them make the case in their local neighborhood. So um, I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. And uh, that's been another episode of Connect This.